those of us who are newer to practice of Buddha Dharma, those of us who've been practicing so long we can't remember how long, all of us need to find inspiration for our practice, don't we? In some ways, those newer to practice have it easier. Uh, I think most of us, when we first discover this practice, we, uh, it's an amazing discovery. We see it's, it's, uh, it's wonderful. It, it works for our life and we naturally want to try it out. Sometimes after a while, after some years maybe, uh, some people might get tired of practice, maybe become a little bit jaded or bored or feeling like I've been doing this a while and it doesn't really seem to be um, going anywhere. Takes a lot of effort maybe, but uh, uh, the payback might seem small, something like that, or for whatever reason, we just get into other things. But uh, we know that it's a precious thing, this practice of Buddha Dharma, practice of Zen. So uh, I think it's worth reflecting on uh, some motivating considerations, especially if we're feeling either now or sometimes uh, a lack of inspiration. Maybe since we're all here this weekend, we made some effort to come all the way out here. Probably nobody lives around the corner, so it takes a little bit to even just get here. Maybe it's not such an issue right now. We have enough inspiration and motivation to come to a weekend like this. But it could be that after half a day already, you might be wondering, ah, this again, all this silent sitting. Or it may be that... Uh, you feel inspired this weekend, but then a week from now, you are wondering again why you're bothering. And even if you almost always feel totally inspired, these are some good tools to have, I think, some good contemplations. I, I find that they really work if I take these contemplations to heart, I find they really work to, uh, to kind of shift my mind back towards uh, heartfelt practice, heartfelt aspiration to practice the Buddha way. Briefly, 
What do we mean by practice the Buddha way? A lot, of course, could be said about this, but we could summarize it. Zen practice too, I think we could summarize by the practice, any practice that's releasing our grip on the belief in a separate self or the identification with uh, just this body and these thoughts and feelings as myself and the thoughts and feelings that emerge from this view. Anything that's in accord with um, opening to a vaster view is, I would say, practice. And it comes in the form of, for example, giving, like generosity. Isn't that in accord with releasing our grip on the might say, imagined small self. Giving our, our self away to others. Virtue, the practice of virtue, harmlessness and benefit to others. Isn't that naturally also in accord with releasing our small self, that which we feel to be our limited body, thought, emotion, self. Patience with other living beings, especially humans, but also mosquitoes, and so on. Patience with pesky beings. Uh, Is that not also in accord with uh, releasing our self-centered concerns? Diligence. by doing all these practices um, joyfully and wholeheartedly. Then go resistance to uh, those, those wonderful practices that seem to kind of go against our habits and the practice of presence. devotion to now and the practice of knowing clear awareness 
that we find when we're present. So it's a brief summary of the practice of the Buddha way. But this weekend we're exploring contemplations, thoughts that help turn our mind back towards these practices. arousing our aspiration to practice these practices for the benefit of everyone, including this very mind. How fortunate that these practices not only benefit others, but they benefit um, the one who practices them. How fortunate that these practices not only benefit the one who practices them, but they benefit others. Just remembering that actually is a motivating thought. But uh, still we can become jaded or um, disillusioned sometimes with practice as we do over and over again. So um, these thoughts, these four thoughts, I think are great medicine for jadedness. For those newer to practice and especially maybe for those seasoned in practice, who become maybe more easily jaded than those just starting. Because in the beginner's mind, there's many possibilities. These four contemplations, these four thoughts are contemplating the rare opportunity of human life contemplating the impermanence of life, contemplating the effect of every action, the fact that every thing we do has an effect, and contemplating the discontent that uh, comes from habitual self-centered grasping. These are all obvious facts, I think, pretty unarguable, but it's nice to kind of flesh them out a little bit to, to get the full flavor of these inspiring thoughts, these motivating contemplations. So we, we have three, three times we can get together this weekend and talk about these. And there's four contemplations. So how about this morning we can explore the first two. Contemplating the, the rare opportunity of human life. 
isn't it rare to be a human and, a, and an opportunity to be human? And yet, uh, we might not stop to remember this and consider this, how wonderful it actually is, especially if we're just caught up in the daily grind and, and um, doing our life. Somebody said, do you know that you're a human being? And that's an amazing thing. You might say, yeah, yeah. Well, so, of course, it's like that. But, uh, but we can stop to kind of look a little deeper and reflect on how amazing it is and what an opportunity it is. Not only actually to be born human, but uh, sometimes it's said that some of us humans have a have a, a specially precious human life, meaning there's, in addition to just being human, we have um, these sense faculties that are like mostly kind of intact. And as we get older, our sense faculties work less well. <laughs> but um, I think Looks like everybody in, in the room um, has functioning eyes. Not everybody does, right? Not all beings and not all humans do. We have um, we have see the faculty of seeing. We have eyes, so we can see Buddhas. Not everybody can see Buddhas, and we have kind of functioning ears, yeah? <laughs> we, can, we can kind of, pretty much, I think, everybody. Can everybody hear? Okay, basically. That's oh, amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. Not everybody can hear, but um, all of us here today, we can hear. We take it for granted, right? That we have these ear faculties. We can hear the Dharma. We have it to see and listen to. So ordinary, so easy to take for granted and yet uh, amazing. With our eyes, we can we can see Buddhas, we can read the Buddha's words, we can, uh, we can deeply even explore what the faculty of seeing is, what's the relationship between uh, this mind and the, the colors that appear to it. This miracle we can explore, hearing we can hear, teachings we can talk with our friends about Dharma, and uh, I think it would be, if we were missing hearing or seeing, we could still receive Dharma, but we have this special extra bonus. We have seeing and hearing and tasting and smelling and touching and sensing. 
in addition to just a human life. And we can appreciate this deeply, especially as our sense faculties start to uh, slowly diminish whatever we have left of them, we can appreciate more and more Not only are we, uh, we have a human body, a human life with these basically working sense faculties which, with which we can engage in practice and we can learn and understand Dharma through them. We have a kind of freedom to practice Dharma. There's many human beings that have um, eyes and ears and so on, and could access the Dharma, but um, but there's there's lands without uh, basic human rights where people uh, actually have a very hard time uh, being able to practice Buddha Dharma. One example that just comes to mind is uh, you probably heard of the situation like in Tibet, where uh, you know it depends where where one is, I think. And, but uh, there was a time not so long ago when maybe anybody in Tibet, if they were if they were reciting a Buddhist sutra or or had an image of a Buddha, they could be like arrested and imprisoned for that. It seems absurd to us that that would that be the case, especially like in a very devoted Buddhist country. But uh, there are such uh, situations, right? And it seems like, so far this weekend anyway, nobody's stopping us from practicing zazen. at the Houston Zen Center, probably nobody's ever tried to come in and like stop the practice from happening. I mean, I've never heard of that. That's already amazing. There are, there are situations where people might try to stop us from practicing and how fortunate that we're not in one of them at this time. Other, other things that might prevent us from practicing is we could have um, made some major big mistakes in our life and be um, uh, imprisoned. Or sometimes maybe not even made major mistakes and be unjustly imprisoned. And uh, I know that some prisons, they have meditation groups and access to Buddha's teachings, but some they don't in this world. So um, not only do we have a human body with like working sense faculties, uh, but we're, we have the freedom to practice without being stopped. It's so easy to take for granted, but so rare, especially start thinking about other countries, other times, and this was not the case.
this is all reflecting on on this opportunity that's so easy to take for granted. Not only do we have these three things, but um, we uh, live in a land where uh, the Buddha Dharma is uh, available and taught and practiced and offered. This was not always the case. And there's places where it's not the case. In fact, you know, not that you can't practice the giving and um, harmlessness and patience and diligence and so on um, without even hearing about Buddha Dharma. I think that's true. But for the full package uh, of complete awakening, Buddhahood, within the understanding of our tradition, this Buddha Dharma whole package was not really um, available here in Texas, here in the, in the United States, maybe 100, let's say 200 years ago. It was maybe, um, maybe there were a few people here and there who had discovered it and went off to Asia looking for it. But very few, if, if somebody um, wanted to practice it, maybe they could find an old um, kind of funky translation of some old Buddhist sutra in the 1800s. I think there were a few around. But, um, but if they wanted to practice it with others in community, they would have to go very far, I think, to find it. So this is kind of a special part of this, um, uh, this rare opportunity that's somewhat new to us in the last you know, century or so, which in the scheme of things is not very long. Amazing that we have this chance. And um, not only that, <laughs> Not only do we have a chance to practice together like this, we're enacting it right now, but um, each of us ourselves has enough basic like trust that it's um, a worthwhile thing that we're here now doing it. Now we're talking about within the whole scheme of uh, the human species on this planet, now we're talking like a very rare um, kind of small minority of people remembering the rare opportunity of not only human life, uh, human life with all our sense faculties and we're, we're not in some of us might not be totally comfortable, but we're not in like extreme pain. Our body and mind are basically working enough to be here doing this. It's pretty good. And, we, um, and we're not imprisoned. We're not, um, we're, it's legal to practice Zen <laughs> today here in Texas. It's, um, it's uh, the Dharma is available and 
being offered here and now. Practice is being offered here together. And, um, and we, each of us even already has at least a little faith that in it, in this practice. We can celebrate this. We can deeply appreciate this. If we're feeling a little jaded, like, yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, another weekend retreat. Well, we've already come so far to be here like this. And rejoice in this. And it really is rare. Uh, Dogen Zenji are 13th century Zen founder brought this up one time in his extensive record. He, he says this, he says to, to be born a human in this world system is very rare. And then he quotes this uh, all teaching of Shakyamuni Buddha, where the Buddha in ancient times in India, one time picked up a few grains of soil from the ground and he put them on his fingertip like that. And he said, what do you think, uh, friends? Which is more, this little bit of soil on my fingertip or the soil that covers this whole planet and all the other planets throughout the entire universe. Sometimes he would ask these kind of ridiculous questions that are not hard to answer. But um, he was trying to make a point and his disciple Ananda said, actually the soil that's like all over the earth, covering the earth and all the planets throughout the universe, it's more than the, than the soil on your fingertip, blessed one just in case anyone was wondering. And the Buddha said, uh, that's correct, Ananda. The, the, uh, this human birth, receiving this human body, manifesting this human body is like the, uh, the soil on my fingertip. And not receiving a human body is like all the other soil covering the, the, uh, this planet and all the planets in the universe. As a kind of comparison for how rare it is. Like, it's interesting that he put it as, um, he didn't say what the other alternative, he just said not receiving a human body is like all this other soil. So we could understand that to mean being born as some other type of living being. There's many more of them. And you know, I don't know the statistics on this, but um, I think especially if you look at like the insect realm, like the ant realm. As I was traveling out here to Texas from California, I was camping along the way and I'd often be sitting Zazen outside, and one thing that I noticed was um, pretty much everywhere you sit, there are ants. <laughs> Even in like like um, 
sand, like a, like a, a big beach of sand with nothing growing in it, it would amaze me. It's like, why are these ants like walking in the middle of this vast desert of sand? But they are. I think there's more ants than humans. And uh, does anyone know that how many ants <laughs> that are on this planet? I think by weight, they outweigh us too. So. Oh, they're about the same weight as us? But even more. They outweigh us. They yeah, outweigh so us. The numbers okay, so we can then figure that the weight of an ant has some thousands of ants to make up a human body. Wait, wait. So, um, thousands and thousands more times and not to mention the even tinier creatures and all the other creatures, right? Um, we could have been born as an ant. Maybe that's a little funny to say because um, in a way, maybe it doesn't really make sense because we weren't, so we couldn't have been. But, that there, but we know that there are ants and from the perspective of the ant, um, they're living as an ant. And uh, it's taught in the great vehicle that all living beings share is Buddha nature. And uh, I know that many animal lovers um, feel that, uh, um, well, maybe our dogs and cats are more like Buddhas than, than we are. Sometimes people say things like that. They seem so um, naturally devoted and simple and um, less, you know, caught up in afflictive emotions, maybe. Uh, and I think this may, may be so just in some ways, but, um, but the Buddhas teach that uh, only humans have this uh, ability to completely um, recognize their true nature and, uh, and develop this incredible uh, depth of compassion and skillful means to benefit others and to awaken others to, um, to the way. Of course, our dogs and cats have compassion and um, and uh, demonstrate some qualities of great bodhisattvas, but uh, maybe we could discuss this if, if there's time. Um, but uh, the Buddha says, the put this this potential of complete of complete Buddhahood is um it takes it takes. Uh, a lot of clarity and a lot of um, deep reflection, and um, and that uh, maybe other species uh, can't completely uh, follow through in the way that humans can. Maybe that's a biased view of the Buddhas, but uh, there are such teachings. It's kind of ironic as humans we have this capacity, but we also have in a way, maybe more troubles than a lot of animals. We get more obsessed about the past and the future, I think, than other species.
because we have very active minds and keen faculties that can that can obsess about the past and future and imagine all kinds of things. But these same faculties that that can imagine so um, so elaborately also have the ability to um, turn around and reflect on ourselves in a very deep way to um, verify our unborn nature that maybe other species uh, their 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 minds are not so quite so um, subtle maybe so there's many other species we could have been born as we also could have been born some other time and maybe in a sense we were not exactly we but this kind of stream of consciousness and in the teachings of rebirth maybe we were many different species this uh, without getting too into that topic of what we mean by we there um, right now we are experiencing through the through the lens of human life and it um, and there are many who aren't and there are many humans who were experiencing through this lens of a human life that aren't anymore. And there may be more in the future that aren't right now, but we are right now. We can stop and reflect on, isn't it something to be alive right now as a human and the potential that comes with that, the opportunity. So, Dogen quotes the story of the Buddha about the soil on the fingertip analogy for how rare it is to be born a human compared to not being born as a human. And then Dogen says, we are born human and we have uh, come in touch with the Buddha Dharma in this life. So therefore, let's practice totally wholeheartedly and fully as if to save our heads from fire. But even though we have this precious rare opportunity of human life, it's quickly passing, isn't it? Especially just looking at the clock now. I thought the Dharma talk just started. <laughs> it's basically like already over. And this, this weekend retreat is basically over. <laughs> There's a little bit left, but it's gonna go really quick, I can tell you. If, uh, if it keeps going the way that it's going, <laughs> it's going to be over really quick. And um, so it's slipping through our hands, right? This, this human life, it's like that. Especially that 
the uh, older we get, the quicker it goes. Doesn't it seem that way? I think to everyone. I once heard it explain the reason, it makes sense to me, the reason why it seems to go faster and faster is because um, like each day relative to our entire life is a smaller fraction. Right? So when you're just a few years old, one day is this huge percentage of your life, right? The beginning and near the end of your life after many, many decades, one day is this tiny percentage. So I think it's this, it's this relativity kind of effect. As our life gets longer and longer, it seems to go faster and faster. Kind of makes sense. This life uh, is impermanent. Uh, it's an undeniable fact that each of us is going to die. And that, I don't know, within another 50 years, maybe none of us will be uh, alive anymore. I mean, again, it's an ordinary thought, but how often do we stop and think about this? And uh, maybe we don't stop and think about it because it seems kind of depressing. But I think when the Buddhas talk about impermanence a lot, it's not meant to be depressing. It's meant to be actually the opposite, like kind of enlivening, inspiring, because it's passing so quickly, because our time is so limited. Let's really appreciate it fully. Let's really celebrate it. And let's really use it fully to practice the Buddha way. Let's not waste it. It's so easy to uh, waste it. What does wasting it mean? From the Buddhist perspective, it might just mean anything that we're doing that's not releasing this self-centered habitual grasping <laughs> that's so dissatisfying. So giving is, is not wasting this, this precious human life. Harmlessness and helping others is not wasting this life. Patience is not wasting this life. You might be like at the end of a long line in the supermarket and kind of like wanting to, having a fantasy of pushing everybody aside and running up to the front. And you, because it seems like you're just wasting time at the back of the line there when you could be doing something important like going home and watching TV. <laughs> but, uh, could it be that actually just rejoicing in those at the front of the line and practicing patience with, uh, with how slow they are is actually not wasting time. Whereas if you're at the front of the line and you went home to just watch TV really quickly, it might be more like wasting time, ironically. Patience and diligence is not wasting time. Presence is not wasting time. Just sitting in the present a lot of people would think is the supreme waste of time of a human life, but uh, we can see this as the supreme non-waste of time. And knowing that this awareness is uh, unborn and ever free, 
is the supreme of the supreme, not wasting time without even doing anything. Death is sure to come. It's also another fact that is undeniable is that this death could come at any time. There's no way to possibly predict it. It could come in the next moment. It could come in a long time. And uh, it's a fact that at this moment of death, um, nothing we've done in our life would really be of any help to us, except our practice. We can't take anything with us, no um, loved ones or friends or family, no possessions. Nothing goes along with us, but, um, but, the, but the fruits of our life of practice of, of giving and, and uh, harmlessness and patience and diligence and presence and knowing, these are what is most true and valuable at the moment of death. And afterwards, I think that the uh, average lifespan in um, this world system, this planet Earth, at this time is uh, around 75 years. So in the US, it's a little higher, which means some other places, it's a little lower or a lot lower, uh, but it's limited. And the, the, the more years we've lived um, on this earth, the less there are to go. <laughs> basic, basic math. We don't know how long. People die very young, people die very old, but um, in the time we have left, because we don't know how long it is, uh, there's no reason to wait to practice. There is no later. Such a rare, precious gift, and yet, slipping through our fingers moment by moment. This combination of these two contemplations is so potent, I find. Just to stop and remember, these two are just changes the shape of our mind. What do we want to do with it? What's really important and lasting, uh, valuable in this short life. What will we most not regret at the moment of death and what will we most uh, rejoice in having done? Dogen says um, there's many ways to 
arouse this aspiration for awakening, bodhicitta, we call it. Uh, but of all these ways, the most supreme way to arouse this awakening mind, this aspiration to practice for the benefit of all beings, the most supreme way to generate bodhicitta is to contemplate the impermanence of this life. And when we remember and contemplate the impermanence of this life, and we're at the moment we're in touch with that, deeply in touch with that, our grasping for, um, you know, Dogen often calls it like fame and profit, but we could say good reputation, wanting to, even wanting to be liked by others and getting kind of obsessed about that um, in a self-centered kind of way. That's not like it becomes, it goes way down the priority list at the moment we're in touch with uh, impermanence of our own life. And profit is like just trying to get anything for ourselves materially or, or otherwise. Fame and profit, name and gain. These are, these are the, um, these two human motivations tend to obscure our, um, our aspiration for awakening. They kind of block it. They kind of, um, they get in the way. They, they like suck us into um, to, uh, ultimately meaningless <laughs> activity. So easily, so easily. And we all know this. This is nothing new, right? But it's just, this is just all reminder. But the, when we really think this life is, is fleeting and a rare opportunity, what's most important, then we become a lot less obsessed about, um, about our, you know, having a really good reputation and, um, and putting a lot of energy into self-promotion, I might say, and um, putting a lot of energy into gain for ourselves. I think you did, Dogen and the others and ancestors, they single out these two, these fame and profit, or name and gain, just because people put a lot of time and energy into um, these types of seeking. Consciously and unconsciously. Because um, we think there'll be time to practice later. So uh, these are two contemplations that I find um, they really, they turn this mind back towards uh, my aspirations and motivations to practice for the benefit of all beings. And they're kind of easy to think about. They're kind of easy to, um, to consider. They're, they're simple. There's no um, deep metaphysical philosophy going on here, right? Dogen says that too about um, impermanence. He says, this is not something you have to read about extensively in the sutras, this teaching of impermanence. 
everybody knows it already. You don't need any more teachings, but he encourages us to remember it, to, uh, to take it to heart and, uh, and see. Maybe, maybe one little test is, I don't want to remember because it's so depressing. But um, you could say that's if we're, if we're kind of resisting practice already, then we maybe don't want to remember this. But if it's more like, oh, I'm remembering it. What can I do? It's, it's starting to seem depressing. What can I do? Then we remember, oh, yeah, this was a, this was a contemplation to um, encourage my practice. <laughs> what if I, like, turn the mind towards practice? Um, yeah, I don't have much time left, but what if I, I just give myself away and I try not to harm others and I, and I become patient right now and so on? Then... Um, and it's no longer so depressing, right? Then it's like, oh, I don't know much time left, but if I'm doing these practices in the time I do have left, I can be quite happy about that. Even if I only have a few minutes left in this life, if I practice giving and harmlessness and patience and, and diligence and presence, knowing, I may have no regrets, even if I've, even if I've been neglecting these practices for all my life up to this moment, this last five minutes of my life, I have no regrets. I can practice such a way. Thanks for your attention.